Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the WWB Podcast. I have on a distinguished gentleman, a gentleman that is pursuing the law field, a gentleman who happens to be one of my favorite St. Louis Cardinals fan, if not my only friend that is a St. Louis Cardinals fan, uh, who've made the playoffs. Welcome in the owner, the uh, proprietor of HBCW Randall. You can puff your chest out. You guys made the playoffs. How's that feel, sir? Well, you know, it's uh, to have a team in the playoffs. Um, you know, they made it last year having to win so many games in a row. But this year, you know, it, it, it seemed likely that they were going to get it. And, you know, I think when they clinched, it was, if I'm not mistaken, they clinched it at home. No, wait, no, they were in Milwaukee because they beat the Brewers, who were the only competition to win in the division. So, you know, we, we got the division. We got 700. You know, we want to go out and send Wainwright, Molina, and Pujols. You know, if they if they all three retire, I mean, right now we know that it looks like two of them are. But, um, you know, if all three retire, we want to send them home champions. And uh, not just NL champions, World Series champions. Respect. Well, in the words of Life Jennings, must be nice. <laughs> But damn, man, my, my Orioles, well, we do have a winning season this year. Nobody expected the Orioles to, to be, uh, they literally, I read this, I screenshotted this bastard, rat bastard on social, uh, a so-called professional baseball writer. Well, it's so much to say for that. But he said the Orioles were going to have the worst record in all of baseball. And guess what? We don't. And we have a winning record. Unfortunately, we did not get the third wild card. That goes to the Seattle Mariners. Congratulations to the Mariners. 21-year drought, the longest in North American professional sports. And now the Sacramento Kings, which happens to be my favorite basketball team, has the largest playoff drought. I am a glutton for punishment. Um, so we'll, and speaking of punishment, we're going to hop in today and talk about WWE and AEW. We're going to talk about the highs, lows, in between. Here we're going to go start with uh, WWE Raw. We had Bianca Belair in action. We had Matt Riddle in action. We had uh, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, uh, Finn Balor. All types of stuff. Um, talk about this week's Raw. Anything special that jumped out to you um, that, that was of interest to you personally? You know, I'm just trying to think. You know, sometimes when we do this, you know, Raw was, what, six days ago now? Yeah. So, honestly, like, nothing is really, like, uh, um, really popping out of me. I'm kind of looking through to remember exactly what happened. I mean, um, I know that, what was that, Candice LeRae debuted on the main roster, so again, Triple H is continuing on with the the returns, you know, of, of the names that some people, you know, may remember, may like from NXT. Um, Sami Zayn, hey, man, that, that guy, he's uh, going out there facing AJ Styles and he gets the win yeah. over AJ Styles. So, you know, I, I, I just like what they're continuing on with him. Um and you know the, they they're continuing on the Judgment Day stuff. So basically, Raw did what they you know needed to do. Edge returns. Yep. So you know they're, they're they're continuing to do what they need to do to continue to tell stories, and they're progressing. And 
it does. It's not an embarrassing show to watch, like you know, some people may perceive that it used to be. Yeah, the, definitely the stench has come has has fallen off, no doubt. If you would have asked someone maybe about eight months ago, twelve months ago, it would have been like, ah, I watch it when I get to it. But now it is relatively much CTV again. Like you're talking about Sami Zayn getting the even though it's by nefarious means getting a W over AJ Styles, so protecting AJ, but Sami's still getting the respect again. Sami is just he might be the performer of the year if we're going to do awards at the end of the year he might be in argument arguably one of the best performances of the year outside of uh roman reigns so no doubt in this role in the nice to see solo sokoa as well oh yeah i was going to say um i think we talked about this last week and i when we were talking about Braun Strowman, i was like you know if he's the monster among monsters mm-hmm. it'd be interesting if they pursue him against almost you know for for you know for this this month this is Halloween and it and it was funny right after we recorded I realized that Halloween is on a Monday this year so Ooh. I get the feeling my prediction is on Halloween you're going to have almost against Braun Strowman mm-hmm. no question about it that should be good okay cool so now we're going to hop over to WWE SmackDown uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we had Solo Sokoa and Sami Zayn defeat Ricochet and Mad Cat Moss. We had Jey Uso um, who confronted Zayn. I like that. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we had the Maximum Male Models. We'll leave that alone. Hit Row gets the W. Ronda Rousey wrestling against Natalia, getting the W, um, tapping her out. Imperium beating up Sheamus. Um, Antonio Naki, uh, the founder of, of New Japan, we'll talk about that too later in this episode, uh, who passed away recently. No doubt New Japan setting the table for some of the greatest artistry in professional wrestling. Bailey gets a W over Shotzi Blackheart. Dupree uh, beat up the Maximum Male Models. Let's talk about uh, SmackDown. I thought it was actually, again, I love the fact that they're, you know, the, the bloodline story can continues to get nuanced um it can you continue to see the uh the frustration here uh that that uh, jay uso has with zane but i like zane pushing back at him like excuse me it goes our locker room and and just the the uh confrontation there but overall what were the biggest things for you watching smackdown that that uh, kind of made it enjoyable for you well you know you just brought up the the sammy and, and jay uso thing you know, one thing I found, I'm not going to say, I was I was more curious as to why they did this, but, you know, sometimes when you have a guy like Sammy who, you know, is technically a heel, right? But the fans are getting behind him. Like, he's one of those characters that if he turns tomorrow, the fans will be, like, all the way behind him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but then, you know, the scenario that they put him in this week was they put him, him and Solo against Ricochet and Madcap Moss, and, you know, that's a bad spot to be in if you're Ricochet and Madcap Moss, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're baby faces, but you're going against a guy that the fans have gotten behind, mm-hmm. right? The, the fans have already gotten behind Sammy. So it's interesting because it's almost like a reverse scenario where it's almost like they were the heels in the match. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, I, I, like, I actually like the dynamic where you have Sammy and Solo because, like, Solo was, this dude is a beast out there, right? Like, yeah. he's, he's the, the enforcer title is perfect. That's serious. That, and that's, a, that's a really, I'm glad they gave him that early on. What, what do you think about that? And look, you know, I'll, especially going back to when I started watching, the enforcer for me is always Arn Anderson, right? Yeah. But Solo is playing his role perfect. Like, I don't know if he studied 
old Art Anderson or whatever to, to, to know, you know, exactly what he should be doing. But, like, this dude, like, when people start talking stuff to Sammy, like, this dude is, like, all over them. Like, at the end of the match, when Matt Cap reached up to grab Sammy, and then he, he looked, he, he, he saw the face, look on his face, mm-hmm. and he just came over there and just attacked him. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I just like what, what they're going with this. And it's just going to be interesting to see all the different layers that happen when, you know, all this falls apart. No question about it. Great storytelling across the board. Something that's compelling to watch. And it's hard to keep people's opinion, attentions nowadays because if you've been a wrestling fan like me and you for over, I mean, I've been over for, for over two decades, 25 plus years, and you've been a wrestling fan for damn near uh, three decades. Um, so it's hard to, you, you have been a wrestling fan for three decades. Yeah. Right. I said over. It's been thirty-four years. Thirty-four years. So you got thirty-four, and we've seen it all. We've seen every storyline. We've seen. We've seen. But for something to be so gripping, and and to especially with the modern presentation of WWE, it has been um, no doubt a, a wonderful storyline. Let's talk a little bit about the Panda Express. I don't, we talk about how the Swerve in Our Glory is a funny name, um, but uh, Panda Express, Kevin Owens and Johnny Gagan <laughs> defeated uh, Austin's during Alpha Academy. Talk about that. Do you think that's maybe something that could be pretty interesting in the future, this rivalry with maybe Drew McIntyre and Austin Theory? Is that, is that something that you're interested in? Um. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I, I like. I also like what they did with that too. I mean, you know, I know that like some people like to compare everything to the Attitude Era and stuff, but it kind of reminded me like when um, when Drew was kind of like coming up behind Austin Theory. Mm-hmm. Like it reminded me of stuff that Austin used to do like back in the day. Like um, I can remember like when Brian Pillman, I think it was like King of Ring '97. Brian Pillman was doing an interview and he was talking trash about Austin. And Austin came up from behind. Now that went a completely different way because it ended up with Tillman getting a swirly, but in the in the in the toilet. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, like just that unpredictability, right? Like somebody's doing an interview, and it's not just somebody just attacking somebody. By the way, you you know, it's normally you it, it it's kind of questionable because like you'll see somebody attack somebody, but it looks like they had to be like right in front of them to do it. Mm-hmm. So, like, when Drew's coming up from behind him, and he didn't even attack him. He just said, you, me, in the ring, now. I love and that. Again, I love that. It just it, it just goes back to, like, you know, everything doesn't have to be a backstage fight, right? Mm-hmm. So, he, he he heard what he said. He confronted him. And he brought it. He, he made him come out to the ring. And that, that wound up being almost like a show-length story because they had that situation. And it wound up leading to that six-man tag at the end of the, at the, end of the show. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. Um, so now I really want to take a time to bring, uh, you know, our condolences to the Naki family and talk about the legacy of D'Antonio Naki. No doubt a trailblazer in many ways from your perspective, as long um, being a wrestling fan for over 30, uh, 30 plus years and also an, uh, an avid New Japan watcher to a degree. Talk about what uh, for those who are may not be aware what does new, pro, new New Japan Pro Wrestling mean to you as a wrestling fan in the pantheon of companies, history, uh, and just the importance of New Japan? And then also talk about his legacy, to, in your opinion. I mean, with New Japan, I mean, there's, there's a lot of history that goes back. Um, you know, you when, when people think about, like, um, I'm trying to think of, like, when people would have most, most started to discover it. Like, I think there was a relationship with the WWF, like, back in the day. Um, you know, um, 
when you have like WCW, like a lot, I think a lot more people found, you know, especially like people over the past 20, 20 or 30 years, they probably found out about New Japan from watching WCW because, you know, that was integral. Uh, that, that was like, you know, they, they, they were always referencing it. You know, I can remember the earliest that I remember hearing about New Japan was them probably like 1990, mm-hmm. right? And then they started having like the Japan, the New Japan, WCW New Japan Super Shows you know, in the, in the early 90s, and basically that tradition basically carries on to, um, not necessarily those shows, but like, I want to say the third one, that may have been like the first January 4th show, um, you know, and we know how that kind of evolved over the years, but, um, you know, that that's one of those things where, that's how we, I learned about a lot of the guys, was just from watching WCW back in the day, and you know, when I think about New Japan in the 90s, I think about like the great Muda, mm-hmm. uh Zaki, um, Chono and all those guys, and then you know, and even Anoki. I can remember Anoki wrestled uh, more Stephen Regal, William Regal, as we know him now. I remember mm-hmm. him wrestling him at a Clash of the Champions, um, probably in like '94, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, New Japan is one of those things where once you're a wrestling fan here and you start to see more stuff, then you start to learn about it. So you know, New Japan. When when people think about wrestling in Japan, you know they, the first thing they usually think about is New Japan. Talk about the the level of skill. Um, you know, a lot of people see a lot of casual fans or people that watch wrestling not um, as deeply or maybe as intensely as we may do it, but. Um, talk about the quality though, because you know we, I, I use an illustration. There's a difference between going to a Whole Foods and a you know a shop right, right? There's a different type of product. There's a different type of experience that you're expecting. And there's also a premium uh, for the price. Talk about the, st- the, the style of wrestling that New Japan highlights and when it comes to the, 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 uh, the pedigree of a New Japan wrestling in the pantheon of, of pro wrestling. Your thoughts? I mean, when, you, when a lot of people who watch it, you know, when they think about it, they think about one hard hitting. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot of stuff that you don't really see here, here where, you know, you may see suplexes where people get, you know, where it looks like they get dropped on their heads. And, you know, they do that type of stuff a lot more. I don't know if they did it more in the in the 90s, but, I mean, it definitely happened. And, you know, you had a lot of American guys that would go over there. And, you know, it seemed like New Japan really liked guys who basically, I don't want to, they, one, they like bigger guys. So that's why you would see guys like Vader, uh, uh, Stan Hansen, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, you see guys like that would be very successful over there. But they also like guys who could do, again, tough, but to do, you know, real skilled stuff like uh, Terry, Terry and Dory Funk, right? Um, you, but a, a lot of that stuff when it comes to the toughness, like when they have like the New Japan Dojo, like those guys go over there and they do a lot of intense training that's designed to protect them and help them you know, get through all that. So it's a, it's tough training over there. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough basically. So, um, you know, you got to respect a lot of the guys who go over there and, and not just the guys who just travel over there, especially like in the recent days, but like the guys who go over there, learn, train, go to the dojo, like, um, you know, uh, Tamatanga, um, and, um, you know, like guys like that, like those guys went over there, you know, I was in school with him, 
and he was over there and you know he he and his brother they both went over there and you know they learned and 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 trained and stayed over there and you know they're very successful now yeah they they're they're like the harvard of wrestling in a lot of ways Uh, for many pro wrestlers going to new japan is a life dream because the type of execution the type of physicality the realness and also the cultural uh system like you talked about the dojo and the way they develop a lot of their younger wrestlers as well is extremely important. So no question about it. New Japan is still continuing to be one of the most important brands in all of pro wrestling. And really it's in a lot of ways we can learn about the physicality and the storytelling and no doubt they produce a lot of great talent over the years. So again, we want to send our, fa- our condolences over to the Noki family um, and to the new Japan family. And we thank him for the legacy that he presented. Um, now we're going to finish up here and hop over to AEW World. So for my WWE fans, we're switching right over to AEW. Interesting week, no question about it. We're going to hop into this. Um, it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about AEW Dynamite. Quite an interesting show. Let's get it popping, right? We had the Jericho to start off um, AEW Dynamite. We had the Jericho Appreciation Society. I'm going to start with my, my, my opinion here. Then I'll toss it over to you. Uh, again, when AEW... They try a lot of different things. You can tell that uh, Tony's been thinking. He listens. He's aware of what people are saying on the internet, uh, so to speak. But uh, when AEW tries to do sport inter- sports entertainment or they try to do anything that has some sort of uh, sports entertainment, that's heavily sports en- entertainment in terms of a segment, anything that's like, 70, like a 70-30 split, it tends to not land always the best. I see the intention, but it doesn't always land the best. I didn't find this segment to be that entertaining. And honestly, it was kind of uh, all over the place. So um, I don't know if it was the best way to start it, uh, but it definitely was uh, an interesting starting nonetheless. Uh, I guess they were just trying to push the whole um, Daniel Garcia portion, which I guess it accomplished to a degree. But um, I don't know beyond that what it accomplished. Anything that you have to say about the entry of the Jericho Appreciation Society? Well, I mean, I what I got out of it, one... I, I think that they're playing off of the fact that, you know, in their mind, and again, I'm not going to say right or wrong, in their mind, the people who watch their show and the people that like their show don't like WWE, right? Yeah. So Jericho, in his mind, is going to come out there and do like a parody version of what sports entertainment means to people in a way to get people to react negatively. I'm not going to say if that's right or wrong one way or the other, but you know, I I see what they were doing. I I get the idea in the purple suit. <laughs> no, that yeah, that was that that was entertaining. The purple suits, yeah. I, I was like, honestly, when I was watching the purple suits, I was like, where? First of all, who provided all of these velvet purple suits? <laughs> that was entertaining. I'll give it. I'll give it that. That one part, yeah. And I don't remember if Jericho says it here. But I know he definitely says it later. I just don't remember if he introduced it or not. But, I mean, if the story here is Jericho doesn't like anything about Ring of Honor and he's going to, you know, he's going to, you know, do whatever he wants. He's basically going to desecrate the, the ROH title. Yeah. You know, I, that's a story. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, and I can tell you, I'll tell you where, when we get to it, I'll tell you where, uh, where I expect that that's going to go eventually if, if we're lucky. But yeah. yeah, I mean, but yeah, we can move on from that. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. In, yeah, I, the desecration of the Ring of Honor. I, I look forward to see where it goes. Like you said, we had uh, Brian Danielson and Daddy Magic, and Matt Menard. Honestly, I love Matt Menard. He his his Buffalo accent or whatever his upstate New York accent is very interesting. He's very intense. He's yeah, I I'm just very amused by him. I, it, beyond anything else, I do find him a new amusing. No doubt, Daniel Bryan was going to kick the stuffing out of him, which he did. Um, and he submitted him as he should. Um, other than that, um, I, uh, I don't see anything beyond that. It was, it was a match and, uh, Daniel Bryson kicked the stuff out of him. <laughs> and so that was that. Anything else? Yeah. That was it. You, you said everything right there. All right. We hopping over to MJF and Wheeler Yuta. I'm gonna let you take the reins for this promo or if we could call it that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, with uh, Will or Yuta, I I see I see they're trying to they're they're hopefully trying to bring up somebody new, right? I I don't know what happens in the back for sure, but I think that I think that Wheeler probably should have gotten a little bit more experience on let's say AEW Dark, yeah, cutting promos definitely, um, and. And, it, and again, you know, honestly, it's not the message that he was delivering. You know, how many times have you heard this phrase? It's the way that he said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that, because, um, you know, like, basically when I heard him, it sounds like he's, like, yelling. Yeah. And and when I say yelling, it, it's, this isn't to be disrespectful or anything like that. It's just to understand how it comes across. Like, there's a difference between somebody yelling to get their point across and somebody yelling because I'm upset and blah blah like yeah. that comes across. It's very, like it's a, very uh, overly, it's overly, it's overdone. Yeah, and I mean, like that's how. how again, not to be disrespectful, but that's how like an 11 year old gets mad and complains and 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 stomps off and stuff like that versus you know somebody who knows what they're saying, knows yeah. why they're saying it, is composed and will raise their voice to get their point across. And yeah. that's what I think he just needs to understand and be able to work on. And, you know, honestly, <clears throat> promos are not easy, as we'll see later. But <laughs> promos are not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, the more time he has doing it, the better it'll be. For whatever reason, he was fast-tracked to doing this, yeah. uh, you know, to, to get featured like this. And you know what? It's just going to take some time where he's basically getting on-the-job training in, in the highest level that he can get at this point. Yeah, and, and like you said, modulation is important. As a person, I, I've been in public speaking for over a decade personally, and uh, modulation is extremely important, and especially when you're going against a, an opponent on the mic like MJF. And, you know, first of all, anybody going on the mic against MJF, it would be a difficult day for them, period. But no doubt, Willow Yuta was over. He's over for his work. When we think about Wheeler Yuta over the last couple of months, he's over right now because of his work and his intensity. And he's bled before, too. So, you know, AEW fans love that. That's kind of like the penultimate thing is a, is a bloodbath. So he's already done his ceremonial AEW bloodbath. So it's like 
like you said, he needs to be on dark every week. He needs to be cutting those maybe one or two minute short promos. Maybe we can shorten them a little bit. Um, but there should be, I mean, at this point, if you're on national television, you know, there needs to be somebody in the back just training them or they should hire some people like, look, we want to improve the quality of the promos. We know that some people are good at some people aren't and we don't script them, but you still can have people that there's like a thing called an outline, you know, like when you do speaking or public speaking, instead of going down every single point, and following some sort of track, it gives you an open-ended, you have a framework, and then you work within that framework, and I think uh, some practice, and really working on that, maybe he could get there, but I think he's over, and I like him, I care for him, and I want him to beat up MJF, and we saw it later in the, in the show, which I thought was a great way to, to kind of counterbalance the struggle there with the promo, where he was beating him up on the top of the skybox, I liked that whoever came up with that idea of him stalking him, uh, MJF, and then assaulting MJF, that was entertaining and that was nice. That was a good way to bring it back. It kind of saved Wheeler this week, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, hopping down to uh, Moxley versus Juice Robinson again, like we talked about on this episode of AEW Dynamite. Um, first of all, you know, no doubt Juice Robinson is well, no name for a lot of wrestling fans. But again, these random people hopping into the title. Uh, picture with no legitimate reason, and I would love to get your opinion about that because, again, you're you 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 love thought and the and the reasoning behind things. For me, especially as a person who who's all about the simulated violence, it was okay. Um, but in terms of, I just didn't get the idea of someone who's not really a, a legitimate challenge in terms of he hasn't been he he literally doesn't work for AEW. He just comes in and he can just challenge for the title. So the psychology was missing. The match was okay, um, but it wasn't nothing extremely. Uh, earth shattering so to speak what are your thoughts on that um sometimes people can outsmart their own selves people mm-hmm. can um outthink the, their own selves and basically outsmart themselves right uh, honestly like um i think that part of the issue that i see with tony if there is an issue not saying there, there isn't, if there was an issue it would be that i think that Tony's too smart for his own good. And when I say smart, I mean, he knows a lot of wrestling. He knows what he's seen in wrestling. He's seen a lot of stuff. So Tony follows New Japan on a regular basis. Oh, he's seen Juice Robinson and and, uh, John Moxley fight each other. And he likes those matches. Well, okay. But, you know, sometimes I think he thinks, well, everybody's seen those matches. So everybody's going to know that we need to have this match on TV and we, we don't really have to provide much of a reason because it's Juice Robinson against John Moxley. And that's the part where I think he may outsmart himself a little bit because honestly, like, Juice Robinson is a guy that, again, you and I, you or I may know because, you know, what we cover and what we've seen and stuff like that. But um, everybody doesn't. And sometimes, and you know, in this case, I think that Tony tried to fill out the, uh, he tried to complete the checklist by saying, hey guys, we're going to put a video package on. I hope that hope that makes you happy because you know a lot of times they do get those complaints of we don't know this person, and and that video package is more of like a checklist item of of okay we're on the show we're going to put this check, this this video package showing you that they've had fights before that doesn't explain the reason why he's getting a, uh, a match to possibly get a title match not possibly if he would have won the match in story. He would have gotten a title match. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened to the top ten? What happened to the other contenders? Why is this person, you know? And I think that those are crutches that he leans on. Where it's like, okay, well, people know this person, so we need to get a good rating. So if I put this on our TV, it'll get a good get a good rating. Or okay, don't worry about that contendership. Hey, let's have a battle royal that determines 
who is going to face John Moxley. So just think about this. Um, one week, he faces a guy who's not in the company and hasn't done anything to actually earn a title match. The next week, he faces a guy who won a battle royal to win the match. Or what was it? A ladder match? What was the match that that Hangman won? Um, was it, yeah, it was like a battle royal, the battle royal type thing, yeah. One of those, right? And, you know, that, that's just kind of like, I understand they want to get Moxley on TV and they want to get him against opponents, but, you know, like, tell, you know, just it, it, it just seems like sometimes those are pressures that are waiting on. And yeah. I think that, uh, I think that once they figure out what they want to do, because again, I'm also not necessarily faulting them because of everything that happened at the beginning of last month. Like, they're probably trying to figure out exactly what they want to do because a lot of the plans that they probably had, they probably had to track. So, you know, I think if they're going to, I think that they're ultimately going to probably land on a spot where they know where they're going and be able to start planning these stories a little bit better in advance and give people who are watching the show um, something to make sense to them. Yeah, and you could use people like a, uh, a Miro, Scorpio Sky, even, um, you know, um, Lee Moriarty. There's people that can be utilized uh, to, from actually get some W's over. Um, it won't really necessarily kill them, but it's still some good matches, and it might be able to elevate them because Moxley can produce good matches with people. So, and there's people on a card that could definitely be elevated. So I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Let's hop into the Soraya segment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, a lot of randomness, throwing together people in a random battle royal. You called out the women's roster. Only like five people came out. Um, it was very interesting. I, uh, I think it might have been uh, a very, I think it's one of the most roughest debuts that a person has had on, on the mic uh, for, for AEW. And I hope that she can recover and bring some more energy back and, and, and really show that she, the reason why Tony signed her, I, I have optimism, but this um, wasn't necessarily the best way to start anything. I think sometimes people have to learn a hard lesson. You know, you, you know, sometimes people think that they know how to do a certain thing. And then um, when they're actually faced in front of it, like imagine like when you were 16 or 15, whatever, you probably were like, okay, I'm ready to drive this car. And then you get behind the car and then you're like, oh, uh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know it was like this, right? You know, <laughs> you, you have to have that first time where you kind of learn. And then like, I think in the case of her, like, you know, when she was in WWE, and remember, when she was in WWE, she came in there young, right? So she's been in WWE for a long period of time, and we know that WWE scripts everything, right? So if WWE was scripting her promos, and she was good at delivering those promos that were scripted for her, well, now she's in an environment where they apparently don't script promos, and she's out there to deliver her own content, so she probably had to learn a hard lesson, like, oh, that's not as easy as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and to her, to her credit, she admitted she was rusty, but you know, there's sometimes I think people, sometimes I think people need to, you know, one, learn hard lessons two take feedback from it and actually recover from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. You had a bad promo. That's fine. Just go out there next week and kill it. Yeah. But, um, what, what I did find interesting was that <clears throat> she got mad because, people were getting on her because, you know, honestly, when she was in WWE, she was actually treated pretty well as far as a character, right? She yeah. came in, won her title on her debut. She was featured heavily. She was in a lot of big things. And then, you know, 
it did kind of come across like he was kind of like bashing WWE. He was like, well, wait a minute. You weren't one of these people who were uh, marginalized or anything like that. Yeah. It felt like you could have the same complaints that Ruby Soho did, right? Yeah, but she was, and they were very loyal to her. Said, well, yeah, it's like, and, yeah, and she she basically said, like, I, I didn't say anything about them. And then when I thought about it, and I thought about what she was complaining about and some of the things that she was kind of praising, like, as far as, like, the women got more than five minutes of TV time, and they got a first-ever Lumberjack match and all this stuff. It actually kind of seemed like she was more bad than Tony Khan, because... All the stuff that she was talking about was the stuff that people talk about with AEW now, where the women only get one match, and it's usually a short match, and they don't really get a lot of promo time. So I just think that, you know, when you look at it that way, I just don't, I don't think the promo was just well thought out. And you know what? It happens. It's, there's no reason to, like, bash somebody like they're the worst person in the world. You have bad promos. Everybody's going to have one. I know I have. But, um, you know. She'll get over it. She'll, she'll get better. Yeah, yeah. Good good points. Tony Storm over Serena Deeb and the W. I don't have much to say about that. Anything? Um, nope. How do you feel about Tony Storm's run so far? I'm, I, I, it's to be continued. I just don't know how over she is. I just don't know how she's been elevated at all. Um, so we'll um, see. But it's uh, at this point, I, I, I it's, uh, I'm very. It, it's on a scale of one to ten, in my opinion, is at a five. So, well, I mean, again, uh, I, I'm not trying to bash Tony Storm or anything, but she's a woman who's capable. I think I said like weeks ago, way before she got to the title, I was like, I see her on the TV. I don't know why I'm supposed to like or dislike her, right? Yeah. Because yeah. then uh, the only reason it seemed like that that people were supposed to cheer her was. Well, WWE did her so dirty, and I'm so glad that she got out of there, and she's over here to this company that's going to treat her well. But beyond that, there wasn't much of an actual story, right? So that's the part where it's like, okay, we need to get people to a point where it's not just we like you because you left WWE and joined us over here. It's got to be we like you because of some qualities and stuff that you've done. Show us, give us a reason to like you, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think that you know, she'll. She'll find her way, and it's just she's just got to get past that 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 you know she passed the honeymoon period basically. Yeah, that honeymoon period is is uh, it's so interesting um, that the last two women's champions really um, the build or the development of them uh, it's it's um, it's it's been precarious to say the least and then and then i see i go on social media and i hate to go on iwc but people talking s about uh you know my my jade cargill and it's like oh she's this she's that it's like but at least she gets over at least she has a personality she 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 has not like her charisma and she has gotten better and and um as jade gets stronger and more powerful and and um and continues to get more she's still not seasoned yet and as jade gets more and more better i've I've watched the little things that she does in matches whether it's a fireman's carry or she's utilizing more power moves she's doing different things that are small things if you really pay attention and watch and, and and see her development over the last year and a half she's really added some stuff to her game and once she puts it all together on top of her natural charisma on top of her personality on top of her look you know you have a great person here and and um i think it can be accelerated as she continues to develop and work on her 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 uh, in-ring capabilities as well but in a lot of ways i mean 
you know, there's a lot to be said that the TNT, the, you know, the, the TBS championship at this point seems to be the more premium title. But anyway, before we get into anything deeper than that, Ricky Starks gets a W, no doubt. Happy to see Ricky get a W. Um, yeah, that was that. I'm happy to see Ricky get a W. And uh, ho- hopefully he can be pushed a little bit more towards top of the card. We shall see. Anything deep in that? Um, you know, I, I would just be interested to see, you know, when they actually start doing something with Ricky Starks because, um, you know, yes, he's had the feud with Powerhouse Hobbs, and, and I think I said last week, it feels like it's going to be a forever feud because now they're one match in a, a team. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing to me is, like, what's the titles above, below the, the world title? You got the All-Atlantic, you got the, T, the TNT title, mm-hmm. you got the Ring of Honor TV title, you got the Ring of Honor Pure title. But it seems interesting to me that the, the TNT title, when was the last time we really saw that defended? Yeah, no question about it. I wonder if Wardlow's yeah. hurt or if there's something going no. on. Remember, he's tagging with Samoa Joe. Oh, yeah. Ward Joe. Oh, God. Well, I mean, that's a great, t- I mean, the great performance. But, yeah, the TNT title needs to be defended every, literally, it's a, it's a T- TNT title. It literally needs to be defended every single week. And uh, Cody, had, I think, when he initially established that title and Brody and stuff like that, you know, it was defended like that. It should literally be the premium title that's defended on TV and someone that can carry with charisma and personality. And, unfortunately, Wardlow, at this point, um, in terms of, uh, definitely he's over. Definitely a great performer. Um, promos still hit and miss. Uh, but you need someone with the charisma of a Ricky Starks, to me, to, to really... And again, you, with Ricky, we know he's had injuries and stuff like that, but he seems to be healthy now. So why not give it to someone that can carry a, a good quality promo week in and week out, can produce good matches week in and good week out. Um, whereas Wardlow is definitely a great person and he's over. But I think... Wardlow's one of those guys where you utilize him not as you don't have to use him every week. He's a big, strong, powerful, explosive guy. You don't have to see him destroying people every week. He can be a little bit, um, you know, he doesn't have to be used every single week. Whereas a Ricky Starks, um, I just feel like with the with he doesn't always have to be in the match, but he can definitely carry a promo or even just do little cool vignettes and other things that could bring value to the title that way. So I see a lot of utility from Ricky Starks from that perspective. I- I just want to agree and disagree about something. Go for it. Hit it, brother. So, so you got Ricky Starks out here. And again, you could insert a few guys into this, into Ricky Starks, what I'm saying here. So you can imagine whoever wrestler you think at this point, it, it doesn't just have to be Ricky Starks. But, you know, right now it seems like, okay, so everything is centered around, okay, if you win this battle well, you get the world title. If you win this last match, you get a shot at the world title. Uh Something happens. There's an interim champion. We're going to have another battle royal. But there's all this stuff that happens in the world championship. With the TNT championship, it doesn't seem like a Wardlow has matches really. Um, as, as far as like defending the title, I know he's in this program with Joe. And by the way, I do hope that it eventually leads to Samoa Joe against Wardlow. Yeah, um, that would be good, especially for Wardlow. Is that a paper? Is that a pay per view match in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. It should be, but again, it, to, to be fair, they only have four pay-per-views a year, so, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a pay-per-view. It could be a, a match of headlines, or let's say Battle of the Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, with Ricky Stark, if, if you were taking somebody like Ricky Stark who isn't doing much right now except a few, you would have him in a situation where he's trying to get us, get right, raise up those rankings to, to get up to a TNT title match. And, yeah, have Wardlow 
destroying people every week, right? You'd have just because now he's a threat. But and again, this doesn't necessarily work because they're both baby faces. But you know, at least have Warlow out there to where he's doing what he does, so people know his power, they know his strength. Ricky Starks is is, rate, is rising up the ranks, and he's going to wind up getting a title match against uh, Wardlow. And you know, if, if he was going to go win, that's fine. But again, at least at least they're both being built up to where the match is important. Have have them out there, you know, doing stuff every week that eventually leads to a collision course between the two of them. But I mean, you know, I, I've said this many times about Wardlow, like. Um, nothing to me that's happened with him is really his fault. It seemed like when he had the big match with MJF, you know, what was it, double or nothing, yeah. I think it was? Yeah. When he had the big match with him, it, it just seemed like from a perspective standpoint, it seemed like, okay, the people who, you know, I'm going to use Tony Khan, it could be whoever was in charge of this, but it seemed like Tony Khan was interested in, okay, well, we need to finally have a payoff where MJF gets beat up and he gets beat up by someone. Okay, Warlow, you're going to be that someone who beats up MJF. So this is the storyline where MJF gets beat up and then MJF gets beat up and it's like, well, thanks, Warlow, you did a good job. But at the same time, Warlow was crazy over at the time. Crazy over, yeah. It seemed like they didn't really, they didn't really have an interest. And remember how I said, like, they're, they're devaluing him every week after that. They had the thing with all the, uh, with all the, the, what was it, security guards and Mark Sterling. And it's like, man, I thought this guy was rising, rising up, and they just pushed him right back down, like, to where there wasn't as much interest. And even with the Scorpio Sky stuff, it didn't seem like they really viewed that as important as it could have been. And yeah. I think that that's where, that's an area that has a lot of potential um, when they start focusing on it. And I believe they will, because it's, it's a title, and they want their titles to mean a lot. But, you know, I believe that once they start focusing on that, you'll start seeing, you know, matches with Wardlow and other other guys. I, yeah. That, I, I, I feel like this ever since September started, they just had a lot of scrambling that they're trying to get things back on track. Yeah, and that middle of the card has a lot of work that can be done. I mean, you have so many good guys that, that are middle of the card or, or upper or lower mid, lower tier, lower tier middle, top card, lower tier top of the card. So, um it's it's interesting to see where it goes. Well, all right, so we had Jericho versus Bandito, a match. Jericho gets the W. Um, Bandito, no doubt, um, he had a reason to wrestle Jericho. He technically didn't lose the title. Um, it was good. It's good to see Jericho still working. But I don't have anything deep to say about it at all. What about you? I I think that the stuff that they did at the end of the match, where Jericho uh, attacked the uh, the ring announcer, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I, I well, see. See, I don't like, I don't see, okay, I don't want the stuff like that to seem funny, right? You know, he beat up a ring announcer. The ring announcer isn't like a competitor. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, yeah. He, he, as far as like the story goes, like he beat up some guys that's not a wrestler. Like, oh man, people should hate Jericho for that. But see, what you just said is probably the way that some people look at it. Oh, that's funny. And that, that's part of the issue with Jericho. It's like, too much stuff that he does, it comes across more funny than it should serious. Remember when he was throwing fireballs at random people? Like, He's a wizard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I'm going to say is, you know, I know that he challenged uh, uh, Brian Danielson to a match, right? Mm-hmm. But you know what? It would really be good if this actually wound up leading to Chris Jericho versus Samoa Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, Samoa Joe is a rare honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV 
champion right now. He has a long history with the world title. Remember, I want to say he was like the longest reigning yeah. ROH world champion. Yeah. Like, it, it would actually be pretty good if that led to a match with Samoa Joe and Chris Jericho because he said he's going to beat all the, you know, I think he said he's going to beat like all the former Ring of Honor champions or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to see that story go there, break off the Wardrobe stuff, go over in that direction, get Wardlow against matches where he can face guys like Ricky Starks or. Powerhouse Hobbs. Him um, and Powerhouse Hobbs. That's a pay-per-view. If you build that right, God damn. Them dudes. <laughs> them dudes can bump. How about that? Them boys, them boys, them boys can throw them ham hocks. Them boys is is that's a match that I think a lot of people are excited to see. Like, go get them big boys in a rat in a match. And and uh that's something I would love to see. You know? Um, it's just straight up match, just beating the brakes off each other. Good, really good points, Randall. We're gonna hop over to uh, Rampage. We're, we're, um, I don't have a lot to say about Rampage, but I will say the Acclaim versus Private Party versus Butcher and Blade. Good to see Private Party continuing to get back on television, being utilized. Um, obviously, we knew that uh, that the Acclaim would get the W here. Good first match. The crowd responded effectively. I don't like these matches where it's a three way where the other tag team is out and you technically have to tag them in what it doesn't psychologically and i want your perspective because you're really into that type part of the of, of wrestling from that perspective um it doesn't make sense that, that why would i ever tag the I've other team it, tag team in? what you say um i mean i've seen it done different ways and to your point that is probably the, the, the biggest logical loophole is why would you ever tag the other tag team in but i mean the other you could get too close to the this is one thing I, I learned while in, in wrestling school is, you know, when you whip somebody off to the ropes, it's not like they can't tag the other guy. That's true. Right? So, so like, you know, you whip somebody to the wrong ropes. There's, there's two ropes that you can't whip, or basically three ropes that you wouldn't be able to whip somebody into, right? So people would make could make that mistake if somebody could easily be tagged in. Both your guys could be hurt, and you don't want to lose the match, right? So maybe... You know, maybe the, 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 the baby faces, you know, did a double team move to both guys and then they want to get out of there real quick to recover and they're tagging the, tag the other guys out. A heel could pull somebody over to the corner and tag them in or whatever. So, I mean, there's there's ways around that. But, yeah, you're right. That is a big logical loophole. Um, I, I don't mind it because I've seen it done both ways because, you know, in the early versions of triple threat matches or three-way matches, this is how they would have done it because that's, the only way that they knew how it was tag tag team wrestling. They didn't just have just the triple threat matches where everybody was in there. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with it either way. It, it gives variety for sure. It's, it's something different. People have to think and strategize differently. Um, I, I I still go back to and again, I don't uh, I don't want to keep dwelling on this, but there's another week where FCR. Yeah, where are they? Yeah, and they talked about that too. It was talked about it throughout um, the AEW Dynamite Rampage as well. They, um, well, the the firm was talking some smack in the uh, Fogo de Soul versus Lee Moriarty. Lee Moriarty again. When I watched this match, I just couldn't help but think. First of all, Fogo de Soul, Fogo, my Baltimore accent, Fuego, 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 Fuego de Soul versus Lee Moriarty. First of all, Fuego de Sol does a really good job of, 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 of selling. He, 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 he is, I respect, he's a team player. He's like, I got to put people over. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be uh, in any legitimate top part of the card, but I'm going to put people over. And you, you, you care about him, you love him, but it's like, damn, you know, he, he always getting his head kicked in. 
Liam Moriarty, when you watch this match, it's like this dude has all the talent in the world. He has all the physicality in the world. Um, what I mean, it makes you, like you said, it's like where can he be utilized better? Where can he be placed, right? He could be the TNT. Why can't he be part of They talked about it. Jim Ross had talked about it. Uh, why can't he be part of the, com, uh, the, the um, you know, the um, Blackpool Combat Club? Lee has a lot of options. I think he needs to really get out of this firm sometime soon. And maybe that'll be that storyline there where he's like, hey, the firm is holding me back. I know I'm with Lucy Associated, but I'm going to go on my own terms and do my own thing. And because uh, I really want to see him shine, just like they're giving Daniel Garcia with the rocket on his back, so to speak. I think Lee Moriarty has a lot of charisma, a lot of uh, charisma in the ring um, to be seen on the mic and the promo side. But in terms of uh, the, his uh, capability, very much like a Daniel Garcia in a lot of ways, I, I, I uh, think his, his, some of his strikes are even a little bit more violent looking and a little bit more powerful looking, to be honest. Um, and he's a little bit bigger, too. So. Um, I think Lee Moriarty could be utilized better um, and maybe he could, you know, be utilized. Uh, maybe it's one of the Ring of Honor titles or something like that. I don't know. But I, I, I want to see Lee utilized better. Would it, when, from his physicality capability, do you think there's some, there's some uh, maybe some, uh, some rainbow in the sky for him, possibly? Like some, some good opportunities, possibly for Lee? I think, I think there already is. I mean, I wouldn't say the firm is holding them back. The firm is giving them new life in a way. I mean, if you think about it, like, the guy wasn't really even featured on television much. <laughs> I mean, he was, when he was, he was losing before, right? So, yeah. um, you know, they turned him, um, I can't remember who he turned against. Was it, uh, um, oh, man, it was it was another guy who's never around anymore. Uh, tag team guy whose brother was hurt. Um Oh man, see this this will tell you something that I can't remember his name. The one who was uh the the one who was feuding with Team Taz and Ricky Starks and all of them months ago. Come on, come on, help me out. Oh, you mean Daniel Kazarian, Kaz? No, 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 no. Um, the oh, guy who has the brother. What? what? What's the tag top flight? What's the tag top flight? Oh, Dar- oh yeah, of course, oh, of course, Darius and um and uh, Dante. Yes, Dante Martin. He he turned on Dante Martin, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did. Where is Dante Martin? Where is he? He's been used but, recently, but he's not. He's not being. Yeah, he's just floundering. Yeah, so you know, you look at a guy like this, and remember, in the the when they brought out the firm the first time, um, Stokely Hathaway mentioned that he's going to go for the pure title, right? So mm-hmm. what they're doing mm-hmm. is they're building him up right now to be in that pure title. Um, uh, you know, in the conversation for that. Now, is he probably going to win it? But at least he'll have a featured match um, in it. And, and I'm not saying he will never win it. I'm saying, like, if in this initial feud that he's probably going to have against Daniel Garcia, I'm guessing, he's not going to win it then, but he'll probably win it down the road. And they'll have a classic because both of those dudes can wrestle maybe, maybe three out of, you know, best out of three type match or best out of five, something like that. That would be pretty cool. That, that, that could utilize them very well. Um, so we're going to go down the line. We had... Um, Jamie Hader versus Willow Nightingale. Willow Nightingale, love her personality, charisma. Not too much to say here. I, I, I knew that pretty much knew Jamie was going to get the W in uh, one way or another. Um, but yeah, anything? Yeah, I mean, she, you know, you, you, what she said is exactly what you would expect. Jamie was going to get the win. Willow was brought out. And honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to knock Willow here, um, but. I didn't even know that she was officially signed with AEW. Yeah. But on uh, Wednesday, she came out in that the Soraya segment yeah. where, you know, they said the women's roster. She came out. So I'm guessing she's on the roster. But, 
you know, they're they're probably in the process of, you know, figuring out what they're going to do with her. She actually can. I mean, we talk about how some, there's, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in the women's division, but Willow really adds a lot of value because she actually can work. She actually is kind of over. She has a personality. She has a physicality. Um, I look forward to seeing what her her um, her ceiling is. I think she's very lovable, and at some point in time in her career, I think she will be TBS champion at least once or twice. Um, in my personal opinion, um, as long as she's there at some point in her career, I can see her being a multi-time TBS champion. Um, we had uh, Rush versus John Silver again for for me. If you're trying to elevate Rampage and you're trying to you know, get the audience and make it seem as if it's as good as AWM. At this point, they're just, they almost telegraph it when you do something like this. No doubt um, that Rush has been a great addition. He's a great performer, very physical. John Silver has some comedic elements that he's interesting with. But in terms of a major pay-per-view match, I don't think this was the place to go. And we get it. They were short-staffed. It was a hurricane. It was a lot going on. Um, but... Uh, I definitely was not that interested in seeing John Silver versus Rush. There was no century or any planet on the world that I would ever see John Silver win. No doubt he's a, he's, he, he, he's a team player. He's a company man. He's, people love him uh, for some reason. I don't get it. I don't have an issue with him. I don't think he's a bad performer. I just don't get some of the quirky humor that they talk about and some of the things that he's involved in or the way he's been presented for me to even care or think of. You know, you know how like... Remember how like uh, Kai and Ty back in the day? Mm-hmm. I loved them. They 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 were kind of a comedy part, but they actually could wrestle really good. They, uh, they, they, I think they even had the tag championships maybe once or twice, right? Kai and Ty. Nope. Uh, nope. Never had the tag championship. Nope. Kai and Ty never. Nope. Wow. Hmm. So that tells you how good they were presented, even though they were more of a like in indeed and a little jokey stuff that they did. They still seemed as if they could have an opportunity. They, they they were presented in a way that didn't diminish them. John Silver, I just find him in so many wonky situations that it makes me not really that interested in wanting to watch him. Uh, and he's strong. He's and he's entertaining. He's he's got personality, but I didn't care for this major match at all. Well, I w- I would say that you know when they structure a rampage and. Honestly, I think that they probably do the smart thing here. Um, if you're coming on at 10 o'clock, you put your best match on at 10 o'clock and you kind of have to taper off from there, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to you, know, you you want to basically do what you can to keep the audience, but you know, you're not going to put your best match at the end because it's a Friday night. People are going out or people are going to sleep. It's usually one of the two things. People are going out or they're going to sleep. And whoever else is staying up, Okay, well they're 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 invested in watching the show. If they're watching it at uh, at at ten forty five at night, right? So um, you're going to put your best match, your most compelling stuff on, and hope that people stick around. But this last match that lasts fifteen minutes, they're not really they're not going to try to put their best thing on because they know that not many people are going to be watching. Yeah. And one thing for Kai and Tai, we will say, even though they did not win the Tag Team Champions, they were New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship one time. So, yeah, but, but again, when you think about Kai and Tai versus like a match like this, you know, presentation-wise, but you never thought, even though they were a joke, I never really thought of them like as like a, like, I never really thought of them like not being like less than. In your personal opinion, did you ever think like Kai and Ty was less than and, and kind of parallel that with John Silver? Where do you feel he is like personally? Um, like I, I get it, he's a guy. He's on the show. Um, okay. I mean, Kai and Ty, like when they 
when it when it became Taka and Funaki, like yeah, they were less than. I mean, it was just it was just a presentation of where they were. I mean, again, you can usually know where people fell in line. Like the most times that you would see uh, Taka and Funaki win as a tag team would usually be if you were watching like the show like Shotgun or if you were watching um, Metal or Jack, whatever the show. Oh, Velocity. Was at the time. I don't even, I don't think they were a tag team by Velocity Taco was going by then, but, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, any of those, like that, that type of show, the mm-hmm. weekend show where it's like, okay, we're not featuring our A players on here, mm-hmm. but we'll feature our B and C players and, you know, we'll have our, our, our B and C players, you know, get wins over local guys, maybe a main event match featuring a B player versus a B player or a C player versus a C player. And, Somebody's going to win that match, and it might be them because that's more of a feel-good show. It's a Saturday morning type show. The last day I know was on Saturday evening, but like Metal Jack, Shotgun, those were like Saturday morning shows. Mm-hmm. So you you know you send the the fans home happy with that um, when they're watching. So you know, but um, I mean, it wasn't like they were a bad tag team. They had they were interesting. They could they could have have good matches. Uh, let me rephrase it. They would have matches with people. I don't want to say good matches when comparing to like now, because people would be like, that wasn't a good match at all. But they would have matches that would keep you entertained and interested at least for a while, because again, these weren't long matches back then either. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. So overall, I think uh, treading water here this uh, this this week at AEW, uh, Dynamite and Rampage uh, to be continued, but uh, some work to be done, no doubt. What were your final words? I'd say the same thing about Raw and SmackDown, honestly. I mean, again, I didn't say that those shows were were great. They weren't bad. They were just more like, okay, well, we're progressing our stories here. Things are continuing. AEW kind of had the short stick as far as, like, you know, travel travel plans as far as Wednesday for the hurricane. You know, I know a little bit about that firsthand because there's a lot of people I know still down there who, you know, even in Orlando, there was flooding going on. So everybody, for the most part, that I know is safe, so, you know, Hopefully everybody out there that's dealing with that and dealing with the, the fallout from that hurricane, you know, I hope everybody does well out there. But, you know, as far as these shows go, you know, they they were there. Um, they weren't embarrassing. So that's always a uh, that's always a plus. So, you know, we'll see what they can do next week. Hopefully they, they all bounce back and give even better shows. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we, we, we can definitely do that. You know, we, we uh, lot, yeah. We hope. <laughs> so, guys, it's been a great episode of Wrestling While Black. It's so nice to have Randall on. We look forward to seeing uh, when we call, follow back up. That'll be right around, I think, base, the playoffs, baseball playoffs start in about a week, right? Yeah, they start soon. And so that'll be good. We'll, we'll keep following his Cardinals as they go. And the, uh, the March to October begins. Well, come, thanks for coming on, and we are out. Peace. Hands up, we can feel, man. Thank you.